You are now listening to the intersectionvictoria.com podcast. A place where faith meets facts. A podcast made for the thinking Christian and the skeptic. Today's episode is all-encompassing. The question is, why should we be Christians? I believe in a God who holds the heavens and the earth in existence. I believe that on the basis of rational evidence. Vikramasinghe came out with a conclusion, and Frederick Hoyle both said this, there is no way to explain the origin of life, and I'm quoting Hoyle now, in an earthbound explanation. Something extraterrestrial had to be brought into this plane, to this picture. Why in the world would I create a podcast that says, why should you be a Christian? Well, anybody who tells you anything about what they believe, at the underlying what they're saying is that they believe they're telling you the truth. Every human being is obviously living in the same reality. So whether or not you're a Hindu or a Buddhist or an atheist or a Christian or a Muslim, you're believing that your prescription, your view of the world is accurate. But you're trying to convert others. Why would you try and convert others? The same reason someone who believes in penicillin or vaccines or antibiotics would tell a sick person to try antibiotics. You go to Africa or South America or anywhere on earth, and you see somebody obviously suffering from pneumonia, where there's a bacterial infection in their lungs, you're going to tell them about antibiotics. And you don't think that they're being from Africa versus being from Asia or Western Europe makes any difference. Their biology dictates that if they're suffering from pneumonia, critical stage pneumonia, antibiotics will help them. We all understand, likewise, that what we are living through is the exact same reality. So whether you're a Christian or atheist or Buddhist, you're trying to convert people to your standard worldview. So obviously, if uh, our view of medicine is correct, then no matter who you are on earth, your body will respond the same way to good medicine. So just because, you know, I know in our day and age, the idea of religion has fallen into disfavor. But you got to decipher things. Um, you got to decode language as time goes on. The word religion in the old days means, means exactly what we mean when we say worldview. So an atheist has a worldview. What's a worldview? Essentially, it's how you view the world. What is going on? The same way you would diagnose what is going on in a medical situation, or if you're an engineer and you're building a bridge, really, whether you're in Africa or Canada, physics is physics. And so any view of any field is either right or wrong. It's not just your opinion, if we're seeking true knowledge. So what if we heightened our view not just medically, but let's say um, 
what's what's bigger than medicine? I would say finance or sociology or psychology. Yes, medicine's important. What's true for health is true for health. But there's more going on in reality than just health. If we had the perfect medical environment and everyone was guaranteed physical survival, what we'd fall into then is psychology. Do people have psychological needs? Because let's say the way to secure human survival was to put everybody in like a bubble pod and you fed them nutrients like in the Matrix. Remember in the Matrix where everyone's stuck in a little jello pod and they're being fed and they're being they're plugged into the video game reality and they're just kept alive physically. Well, we may go nuts if we were stuck in there. When we watch the movie The Matrix, we realize that it's horrifying to think of just only physically surviving. We need to have psychological needs met. Uh, we need love. We need communion with other human beings. Uh, we need relationship. We need all these other things. So mere physical survival is not the only part of reality. Psychology and psychological needs is another part of reality. So as you can see, you can grow your story bigger and bigger. We can, when we're talking about what, what is true, we need to talk about everything that's true. And that's where the term worldview comes in. We need to make sense of everything that's happening. Now, if you go to a university, you'll see several fields of study under, uh, ongoing in any given college or university. You've got, for example, you've got psychology, biology, physics and math, chemistry, history, etc. Now, you ask any professor at a university, hey, you know, um, do, do are we describing, when you go to biology, are you guys using the, sci the scientific methodology to determine what is happening for real? Well, a biologist would say, well, absolutely. Now, if you went to the chemist and said, uh, hey, is what you're describing happening in real life for sure? Chemists would say, well, absolutely. You go to the historian and say, when you apply, when you apply the scientific methodology to, to texts and archaeological uh, evidence, are you looking for truth? Again, they'd say yes. Now, when I was in school and I was taking sciences, when you went to chemistry, Chemistry, the rules of chemistry were the building blocks on which biology worked. In other words, you know, you put one atom next to another atom, that's chemistry, they're acting in a certain way. And there's rules to that that are absolutely true. If I go to biology, I'm dealing with macromolecules. So not just one atom, but several atoms interacting. They're all interacting according to the same laws of chemistry that I learned in chemistry. But now that I'm studying biology, I'm seeing things from a bird's eye view perspective. I'm watching lots of atoms working together in what we call biology, and so on and so forth. So when I look at reality or my worldview, and I'm expanding my scientific methodology to everything that's happening I'm gonna have to see things that are make a unified vision or bring everything every 
aspect of science into a single focus. In other words, if what I'm saying about reality is true, if I'm building my worldview according to actual knowledge, then every side of science will agree with me. So, again, why should somebody be a Christian instead of, let's say, an atheist? Which worldview is actually true? So, I'm presenting to you a case as to why I think Christianity is true, and anything else, especially in this case, atheism, which is the absolute absence of any sort of supernatural reality. Why do I think Christianity is superior, or theism is superior to atheism? So, number one, I'll look at psychology. You go to any sort of psychologist, and one of the most obvious basic truths of human interaction is, if, we, if a human being determines that their reality or their existence has no meaning or purpose, those humans tend to commit suicide. Why is it that meaning and purpose are as necessary to the human mind and emotion as food and water are to the human body. You take oxygen, water, and food away from a biological entity, and they do not survive. Likewise, you take meaning, purpose, and identity away from a human psychology, and that human will self-destruct their own biology. Psychology is more important than biology. The world of atheism is what bred the Frederick Nietzsche's, or the German existentialist nihilists, those who believed in the 1800s that, and they said it themselves, Nietzsche said it himself, if God does not exist, meaning is not possible for life. So nihilism, existential nihilism, is the expression psychologically of atheism, of there being no God. Meaning is not there, purpose is impossible, and ironically, all the many of the major nihilist philosophers were either depressed or committed to suicide. It's as though you're reading a diary of someone who doesn't believe in water, and as you see them describe their experience, they're, as far as you're concerned, you realize when they talk about being parched and being, you know, feeling fatigued, you realize they're describing dying of thirst. But they don't believe in water, so they never seek water. But And yet, and eventually, they die of thirst. Well, psychologically speaking, that's exactly what happens with nihilists. Therefore, psychologically, I don't see how you can see human reality and human basic needs from an atheistic lens. I don't see it. So let's move on to biology. Biology is the combination of chemicals in such a way that it builds a machine. The same way if I found a bunch of sticks laying on the ground, that's meaningless to me. But if I saw a bunch of sticks broken at just the right length, at just the right length and put together in a machine-like, you know, wooden gears and stuff to create an entire Swiss clock, 10 by 14 feet wide, I could not walk away from that experience and think that that happened because of the wind or just basic nature mind or intelligence had to be superimposed onto those sticks to create this machinery. Well, that's exactly what biology is. When you look, for example, at DNA, what makes us human, what makes any biological system alive, you've got 
a whole bunch of chemicals organized in such a way that they literally form a reading manual or a engineering blueprint. DNA itself is not chemicals that make life happen. DNA is literally chemicals organized in such a way, the order of chemicals in DNA is literally read by little machines inside the cell nucleus. They look at the order of the chemicals, they photocopy it directly, and then literally float away outside the cell nucleus, and they have to go through a, a door, an elevator door, that either says, yes, you can come through, or no, you can't come through, depending on how well copied they, their DNA copy is. They, micro-machines photocopy the DNA, float out the elevator doors, and then the order in which the chemicals exist in the photocopy of the DNA are then used to determine the order in which amino acids are lined up. It's literally language converted to amino acid order. And those amino acids are the, let are the letters, individual letters that make up the words of proteins. Proteins are just huge chains of amino acids, the way paragraphs are huge chains of letters. And those proteins, by the way, are eventually folded into a perfect shape to be functional. If they're not folded in the perfect way, they don't work. And almost everything in your body is a protein. All your hormones are proteins, so on and so forth. Biology has every bit of hallmark of intelligence that a wooden machine made of broken sticks would if you found it on the beach. If you found a perfect car made out of sticks, bent in, broken into gears and pistons, etc., you would be crazy not to think of intelligence being involved. Well, that's what biology is. Okay, so now I go down the hallway in the university and I go to the math or physics lab. Now, ironically, they're all studying the real world, but they superimpose over the real world something called numbers. Without numbers, there's no physics. There's no math. But you tell me, you go to chemistry class or biology class, and you say, can you find me a number in real life? They'll be like, there's no numbers. There's just atoms, molecules chemicals and you're like yeah but we can count them we can measure how much uh, load a piece of metal can take before it snaps and I can give you a number for all that stuff and they would tell you well yeah but numbers are a thing that our mind comes up with that makes that we then put onto the real world they don't exist in the real world they exist in our minds, but they are a great way to measure the real world. In other words, not numbers come from the mind. This is something that Plato came up with. He said there's an entire metaphysical reality, and metaphysical is the word that we use for supernatural. The ancient Greeks used the word metaphysical. Today we would use the word supernatural. It's real. It's just not in nature. It's above nature.
supernatural, metaphysical. Plato used the examples of forms. He said a perfect square or a circle, all these things exist in our minds, just the way numbers do. They don't exist in real life. For example, you've never seen a perfect square in your entire life. Even if you used your Microsoft Word document to draw a perfect square, if you zoomed in enough, you would see that the pixels are kind of offset. Now the question is, if you saw the zoomed in picture of the offset pixels that show that you don't have a straight line but a scraggly line, what are you comparing that line to to know that it's not a real line? And again, nobody in history has seen a perfect square. Where does that perfect, how do we know it's not a perfect square? Because we're comparing that, perf, the, whatever we see, we per, compare it to the picture in our minds. Nowhere else in reality does it exist. There's a whole reality out there, including numbers and shapes, etc., that are only real, and they're very real, in our minds, but not in nature. There are two things happening at once, nature and supernature, or something other than nature, above nature. Now, in discussing supernature and the mind, we can also add the very act of consciousness. And we've dealt in this in other podcasts as well. But the idea that your mind is just a chemical reaction is not held up to scrutiny. For example, if I took you and I put you under a laboratory experiment and we mapped out with functional MRIs and uh, IV drips and blood tests, we determined every single chemical reaction ongoing in your brain at any given time. What is one thing we could never determine? Ironically, it would be whatever it is that you're thinking at that time. We could look at your you know, heart monitor and functional MRI and blood chemistry, and we would just see that the chemical reality ongoing in your brain. We would have to ask you, hey, what are you thinking right now in order to know what you're thinking? We could then build a, a library uh, or a catalog saying when somebody thinks of a cat, this is what's happening in their blood chemistry and in their you know, brain waves as according to the functional MRI. We could tie the two together but we could never do so without asking you what you're thinking. So the blood chemistry we could observe directly because that's nature, but supernature is the thought itself. And we would have to ask you to access the supernatural reality of your thinking in order to be able to link it to the natural phenomenon that we could directly observe. Do you understand that? Very simple, but very profound. Now, another branch of knowledge is history, and history is quite literally everything from paleontology which, and geology and archaeology and textual criticism. In other words, if somebody in the past, which obviously they existed, I mean, if I wasn't here, if my parents didn't exist, I wouldn't be here. Now, th things happen in the past that I cannot experience right now. That's what the past means. And my grandkids, my great-grandkids, my great-great-grandkids will experience things. They'll only know of me by photographs and, and, and videos and other evidence that I've left behind 
but they'll never directly see me, not my great-great-great-grandkids. So if we look into the, how can we look into the past? We can look into the present by studying what's right now, but how do we look into the past? There's a very rigid scientific discipline called historical, paleontological, geological sciences. They're very real and they're very potent. So we can look into the past and determine, hey man, I just found a bunch of tools under five feet of dirt in Mesopotamia. Clearly that's been there for a long time. I can radiocarbon date the, the area. I can do all sorts of scientific inquiries to determine how old it is, etc. So what about written records? When I find old manuscripts that are clearly not of my time zone, I can look at it and say, hey, look, this has been around for a thousand years, and the writing in these documents seem to be written by people who wrote even later than the documents I find. Because any document from long ago was copied and copied and recopied and copied again, and we have to look at what's actually in the document, what it talks about to get an idea for when these people first existed. So if I wrote something right now, if I took a newspaper article right now that's talking about events that are happening currently, politically or whatever, and I put them in a time capsule and hid them in the ground and 10,000 years later somebody found them, they would have to determine by what's written in the document, what they're talking about, the names they name, the places they, they, they talk about, then they would be able to determine what a, what a, what proximate time zone is the written material describing? So when I look at that, historically speaking, something like the Bible is incredibly unique. You look at any other holy book, the Book of Mormon or the Quran. In these cases, they're single books written by single people in single lifetimes. And the Quran specifically does not mention a whole bunch of historical details. It's just talking about, oh, I don't know, general philosophy of life. It's one man's opinion about life. In contrast, if I look at scripture in the Old Testament, for example, it is the genre of literature in scripture is historical. It's not opinion pieces. It's literally this king went to this city during this particular year and did this to this other king who was from this other city, so on and so forth. So it leaves a paper trail that could be easily disproven through archaeology if it was literally made up. And there's about 40 different authors that put together 66 different books that we put together into what's called the Bible. Matter of fact, the word Bible comes from the Greek word biblos, which means in English, library. The Bible is a portable library written over 1400 years by 40 different people. And in many cases, they have nothing in common with each other. They don't live during the same era. They don't have the same type of job. You've got kings, you've got prophets, you've got physicians, you've got uh, itinerant preachers. You've got every single type of occupation under the sun over a millennia and a half describing places, people, and events. I'm not joking when I say that is utterly unique to Scripture, to the Judeo-Christian Scriptures, what we call the Bible. Every other holy book on earth 
is written completely differently. It's much more superficial. It is a single book written by a single person at a single time. And it's not loaded with details that can be verified and proven false or proven right. Scripture, Judeo-Christian scripture, is the only writing of its kind in all the worldviews put together. Now, on a personal level, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian is when I first heard the gospel, it's like I experienced something directly, uh, a supernatural or spiritual experience. When I heard the gospel, it had what I would call the ring of truth to it. It's, it's the same way if a deer walks across a highway in the middle of the night, senses, you know, hears and sees a truck coming. We physically automatically react to that because we sense it directly. Now, I had the same exact experience when I heard about Christianity, heard the gospel. It's as though I sensed something was real and I reacted to it. Now, I spent 10 years from the first time I heard the gospel to the time I actually fully converted. It was about a 10-year process in which I hoped, I pushed the idea away from me that Christianity was true. But I kept, kept having this sense that it was undeniably true. Now, since my conversion, I've done nothing but study history and science and logic, etc. I'm more convinced now intellectually that Christianity is true on a theoretical basis than when I first became a Christian. But when I first became a Christian, I was at my all-time most sensitive to the spiritual reaction that I had to just hearing about Christ. In other words, if Christ is real and the Holy Spirit is real and your spirit is real, then a real interaction between your spirit and the Holy Spirit will be felt non-intellectually. It'll just be felt in actuality, which is what I experienced. Now, lastly, if Christianity is true, then the, the rules about life that it teaches us should be obviously better than another set of rules. Now, there could be nothing more obvious in, in, at this point in history that the, most, the single most popular destination for immigrants in the entire planet is what we would call the Western world, Western Europe and North America. Now, interestingly, that's the part of the world that was designed on Judeo-Christian values. When Muslim countries inevitably implode under internal warfare, most of those people will look outwards to other countries. They won't go to other Muslim countries. They'll go to Europe. In the Middle East and Northern Africa, those refugees from broken Muslim countries seek asylum and refugee status primarily, exclusively, from Christian countries. The most scientifically advanced legally free and financially proper, prosperous countries in, in history have been the Judeo-Christian countries, a.k.a. Western civilization, which is North America and Western Europe. Christ's teachings, in other words, put into practice on a national level, have given us an incredibly unique success story that is so far in history the greatest success story. Nobody's been able to create a civilization greater, freer, and more prosperous than the Judeo-Christian societies. So, in a nutshell, 
I can't think of a reason why I should opt out of Christianity. Uh, on a personal level, on an intellectual level, and as I look at history on a societal level, there is no real competitor to Christianity. Um, I have skipped, in this particular podcast, I have skipped giving you the details on direct supernatural experiences I've had that only confirm my theistic and specifically Christian worldview. Maybe I'll tackle that in the future, I don't know. For you skeptics and intellectuals, keep in mind, Christ is simply the most studied, beloved, and influential person in human history. Let that be a guide as to where you're to start your search. Be honest, be open-minded, look at the entire panoply of evidence open to you. Physics, math, history, chemistry, biology, psychology, society, sociology, and your own personal deepest needs, which is to connect to a greater transcendent reality. I cannot think of a reason, literally, to not be Christian. Thank you for joining us. See you soon. Thank you for joining us. Please visit our website and social media. Find us at intersectionvictoria.com. Goodbye.